You go to the doctor, you need medicine. Life happens. Your kids, stuff happens. So you honor the Lord with the tenth, you save a tenth, and then you, the other 80%, you say, God, what do you want me to do with this? And you get to enjoy it, and you give more unto the Lord, and you do all these different things, right? Now that's knowledge. But wisdom is a life who actually implements that day in and day out, season by season. You know your whole life, I've honored the Lord. If Twitter is a compilation of people's random thoughts, then Proverbs are like God's nuggets of wisdom. Learning, gaining knowledge, anyone can do this through study. But as we'll hear today, wisdom is something different. Pastor Daniel will explain how God desires that we be wise. That's something different than being knowledgeable. If a person can not only understand the word, but also apply it, then we can truly know how to live. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Wisdom for Life. There's a story about a young man who had just been promoted, phenomenal promotion taking over for his dad. And after the excitement of that promotion wore off, the reality of the situation dawned on him. He realized that he was in way over his head, freaked out, really. He was in a situation he wasn't prepared for. And so he said, well, I'm going to worship God. And as he was worshiping God, God came and said, my son, what do you want? What is it that you desire? And he said, oh, God, I'm a young man, and you've given me this great opportunity, and I really want an understanding heart. In the, in the Hebrew, he literally says, I want a listening heart that I might know how to discern the right way to go. And God was so pleased with this young man. And he said, oh, because you didn't just ask for wealth or a long life, you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you wisdom. And not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm also going to give you all the other things that you probably want that you didn't ask for. How many of you ever heard that story before? Yeah, a lot of you. That's a story about a a man named Solomon. Solomon was the son of King David. He ascended to the throne under some kind of shady circumstances. If you read about the life of David, his mother was a woman named Bathsheba. The situation was rough. But Solomon was a man of great wisdom You can read that story in 1 Kings chapter 3. But what's amazing about the the wisdom of Solomon was the way that it was displayed because you get to the end of that chapter and the first example of it that tells a story about these two women who were harlots. They were were prostitutes and they they both had children and they lived in the same house together. And they came to King Solomon because one of the women's children had died, Right? And there was some discrepancy as to which child died because 
this one woman said, you know, this woman's child died and while I was sleeping at night, then she gave me their child. Now you might say, well, that's kind of an absurd thing. But before fingerprints and everyone taking a picture the first moment the baby's born and all these things without all of our health records and things, it could be a problem. And sure enough, they come to King Solomon and they say, well, you know, so what do we do? And Solomon says, so, okay, so one of your children are dead and the other one's alive. And so this is what we're going to do. And nobody can agree on whose baby is alive and whose baby's dead. Bring me a sword. So King Solomon says, bring me a sword. So they bring over a sword. He's like, we're going to cut that baby in half and they both can have them. And one of the women says, no, 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 no. She can, it's his, it's hers. She can have them. It's hers. And the other woman's like, yeah, yeah, that's the way we're going to do it. And King Solomon said, I want you to give the child to his mother, the one who was willing to give the baby away, as opposed to the woman who didn't care if the baby died. And it says at the end of that chapter in 1 Kings chapter 3 that all of the people of Israel marveled at the wisdom of Solomon because Solomon was a wise man because God had given him a listening ear. See, Solomon knew that for one of those women, she was spiteful and hurt because she lost her child, and another one cared. And the woman who had lost her child because she was hurt didn't mind hurting the other woman. She didn't care if both of them lost their kids because she lost it. But Solomon knew when that one woman said, no, 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 it's her child. That's the baby's mom because a mother is passionate about the life of her child. Wisdom. In the Hebrew, it's the word chokmah. It literally means skill for living. See, we live in a world full of information. There might never have been a generation like our generation where we have instantaneous access to information. See, knowledge is knowing the right things. Wisdom is the skill to apply the right knowledge. And if there's not a better picture of 21st century American culture, it's lots of knowledge, very little wisdom. We have lots of information and good information, but the ability to apply that information is in short supply, isn't it? And I can say that because If you look at your life and I look at my life, I realize that wisdom is not easy. Let me give you an example. We were just away and I was walking, hiking with Lynn and the kids and me and Obadiah. Obadiah has a a leaning towards business right now. And so he's like, let's let's talk business, dad. Let's talk business. And when your 10-year-old wants to talk business, you're like, okay, good. So I'm like, okay, buddy. So we were talking about all these different things in business. And we started talking about the idea of finances. And I said, buddy, the best piece of financial advice I ever heard was this. And I had someone on the way and say, hey, Pastor, you're going to talk about budgeting today? So it's a perfect analogy for this. I said, buddy, the best piece of financial advice I ever got goes like this. You take your money, right? You give God a tenth, you save a tenth, and you enjoy the rest however God leads you. Right? He's like, ooh. I'm like, so what is it? He's like, you give God a tenth, you save a tenth, and you enjoy the other 80% under the under the glory of God. I'm like, makes sense, right? He's like, yeah, got it, Dad. I'm like, now listen, the hard part is living your whole life that way. See, everybody knows 
if you're a Christian, that you honor God because everything you have is his. And if you don't honor God, everything else is going to fall apart on some level because you're not honoring the source of your finances. So you give God his, and then you save a tenth. Why? Because life happens, right? The car is going to break down. You are going to need gas. The furnace is going to go out. You're going to realize that your clothes haven't been in style for 20 years, and it's not going to make it to 20 more years for them to come back in style. All these things, life happens. You get sick. You go to the doctor. You need medicine. Life happens. Your kids, stuff happens. So you honor the Lord with the tenth. You save a tenth. And then you, the other 80%, you say, God, what do you want me to do with this? And you get to enjoy it, and you give more unto the Lord, and you do all these different things, Right? Now, that's knowledge, but wisdom is a life who actually implements that day in and day out, season by season. You know your whole life, I've honored the Lord. I've saved for reserves. I have my rainy day fund and my flat tire fund and, oh, my, my word, I need a new car fund and all this stuff. Right? And then you enjoy the rest and you say, God, what do you want me to do with the other 80%? How do you want me to steward this? And you see, wisdom is the ability to put legs on it. And let's be honest, if you look at your life, how much knowledge do you have that you don't have, that you're not skillfully living out? How many of us, you go to the doctor, like happened to me about six months ago, he said, when my doctor calls me pastor, I know I'm in trouble. He's like, pastor, your blood pressure is going up. You got a decently stressful job. You're putting on a little weight. Now, he's like, do you want me to put you on some medicine or do you want to take care of this yourself? I'm like, I'll take care of it myself. Why? Because I know how to be healthy. But I don't have the wisdom to live that out every day. And for some of you, you do too, right? You know what to do. You have the knowledge, but it's the wisdom that's necessary. And we are studying the book of Proverbs for that reason. Because if there's anything you and I need in this day and age, it's wisdom. Not just the right information, but the right way to integrate the information into our lives that we might honor God and love the people around us. And the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. Now, why are we calling this series God's Tweets? Simply because in 2006, 2007, a bunch of tech guys in the San Francisco Bay Area decided that we're going to start this thing called Twitter, which is microblogging. It's, you can say whatever you want, but it has to be said in 140 characters or less, which if you know 140 characters, that's about one sentence. You got one sentence, and it's become pretty popular. It went public, big company, Right? And in some ways, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is God's Twitter account because a lot of it is just one-liners. The bulk of the book of Proverbs is these nuggets of wisdom, these short, terse, sweet pieces of wisdom. And so I like to call them God's Twitter. See, it's amazing. If you read your Bible, you could have invented Twitter in 2000 or 1995, and you could have taken it public. It's amazing the number of things that have been invented and found out of the Bible. Remember, we saw the book of Esther, right? The TV show, The Bachelor. That's right there in Esther chapters one and two. <laughs> People started looking for oil in the Middle East. Why? Because they found out that Noah had pitched for his ark to make it watertight. Yeah. 
Just read the book of Genesis, the things you learn. So I want you to open up in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. As we begin this brand new series, I'm super excited about it called God's Tweets. Open up your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 1. Now I'm going to give you a, a piece of wisdom that's not in my notes. Open your Bibles right now. Go open that book. It's God's Word. The Bible doesn't tell you everything about everything, but it gives us the best information about the most important things. Open that Bible. Read it. Proverbs chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to take all of the book of Proverbs. We're just going to grab different pieces for the summertime. But Proverbs chapter 1. Now, if you're new to the Bible, Psalms is your largest book. Remember when we were in Esther, we went Psalms, we went left. Now, if you go Psalms, you go right. It's the book of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, which means it's a great thing to read one a day for an entire month. It's a book of wisdom. Now, notice what it says. Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Remember the story I told about King Solomon? He asked for a listening heart. And God granted it to him. And the bulk of the book of Proverbs was penned by King Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. Now look what it says, verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their wisdom or their riddles. This is the introduction, the preamble to the book. Notice we see it was written primarily by Solomon. And now we have its purpose statement. Why is this book here? Really what we see if we were going to take these verses and condense them down is that God's design is that we be wise and understanding. That we be wise and understanding. See, God does not desire us to be unwise and lack understanding, but God's heart is that we would be wise and that we would have understanding. And you get a book like the book of Proverbs, which is a wisdom literature. God's saying, look, I want you to be wise. I want you to be understanding. And even in the preamble of this, we find out that that's the purpose, that we might know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Now, if you look at the different words here, you have wisdom, instruction, that word perceive in the middle of verse two literally means to discern, to discern the words of understanding, to receive instruction, wisdom, justice, judgment, equity, those are some serious words, aren't they? See, as I said, if knowledge is the right information and wisdom is the skill to implement and integrate that information, God wants you and I to both have the right information 
and to know how to skillfully live it out. Notice things like instruction. See, instruction implies humility, doesn't it? If you don't know something, you seek to be instructed in it. When was the last time you went to the Lord and said, God, I don't understand this? If you read historical Christian theology and spirituality, one of the things that you find is that the very first step in the growth cycle of a Christian, according to a man named Dionysus, who was a 6th century writer, and then a lot of uh, 13, 14, now they call him pseudo-Dionysus. They don't believe he was a real person, but that's intellectual stuff. Either way, it always begins with humility. They use the word purgation, which means the awareness that I don't know, that I'm flawed. One of the biggest issues that we have in our lives today is that we're so busy because we have so much information thinking that we're authorities rather than listening and beginning with a teachable place, right? And when you are instructed by somebody, you're saying, you know more than me. I love this with my kids. My little Maranatha, she's so fun. She's, a, she's just a kick. I remember when we were going to, when she wanted to be baptized, she'd given her life to Jesus. And if you know my little Maranatha, Maranatha's pretty serious about Jesus. She's, her and Jesus are tight, you know. But remember, we were going we to baptize her. And I remember she sat me down. She said, now, Dad, when, I go to, when you go to baptize me, this is what you're going to do. And she, like, read me the riot act. I mean, and it was, she was good, man. Like, she knew what was going on. She's like, now, Dad, when we go into the water, you're going to ask me some questions to see if I'm really a Christian. And now, Dad, I'm really a Christian. I love Jesus, he, you know. And then you're going to explain to me what baptism is all about, that, you know, just as Jesus died on the cross and he went into the tomb, that's what you're going to put me under the water. My old life, old Maranatha, because she's like six. Old Maranatha is going to be dead. You know, and then you're going to take me out of the water and I'm raised up, resurrected, new life Maranatha. And then you're going to give me a hug and tell me you love me and I'm going to go away. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, you know, sweet, I am the pastor, you know. <laughs> but she knew what was going on. She was going to explain it to me. Right? There was no room for me to teach her anything about baptism. She had it lickety split. Right now, I realize that I, if I wanted to, I could have pressed it and been like, now, Maranatha, what you don't understand about baptism, and I could have theologically steamrolled her, right? And I could have been like, oh, well, have you read, did you read Romans chapter 6? You know, are you, are you on that? You know, you understand that? You know, and, but I didn't. But it was such a great picture because so often we're the same way, right? We don't have the humility to be instructed. We just, we got it. I know what's going on. And that's our culture, because we're so full of information. And we have decently good, verifiable information. But God's design is to help us learn and integrate all the information into our lives. So God wants us to hear and learn and discern. That word discern literally means to choose between two different ways. Notice, to receive instruction in wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. Words like justice and equity are pretty big in our culture these days, aren't they? Our Supreme Court just legalized same-sex marriage. 
Now, for us in Washington, that's kind of old hat. They, they did that here about two years ago. But do you guys think that that substantively changes anything for us as followers of Jesus? Like, where in the Bible does it say that when a country makes a law, you follow me different? Our job's always the same. We love God. We love people. That's a, we're on mission. Doesn't matter. Except for those of us who bought into the hope that the American government is something to be hoped in. As if the Roman Empire should have been hoped in or the whatever. For you and I, my friends, our job is always the same. They can make laws about anything. Our job is still the same. We love God. We honor God's word. We believe in a holy God. We, like, we know God's word and we like it. We like that thing. Because it's got the best information about the most important things. But notice, we have to be instructed in these things. See, and that's the thing about the Bible. And that's the thing why I know for me, before I became a Christian, I didn't want to go anywhere near the Bible because I knew that the Bible said things that I wasn't going to like. Because really what I want and our culture wants is the culture wants a God that is just like them. See, we want to create God in our image. I believe that everyone should be able to eat chocolate for breakfast. And so, boom. Amen, right? I believe that we should love everybody except the people who I don't love, and then we should hate them. Okay, great. See, we all want to create God in our image, but the Bible says, no, no, no. God is God, and we are not. And God is saying, look, this is the way the world works. Why? Because I created it, and I sustained it, and this is what true holiness is, whether you like it or not. And if you're willing and you come humbly, I will instruct you in it. I will explain it to you. When you find something you don't like in the Bible, and if you read it, you'll find lots of things that you don't like. You should go to God and say, God, I don't understand this, and I don't like this. What do we do with this? And it's amazing the things that you learned. I remember as a young Christian reading that homosexuality was a sin in the eyes of God, and being like, God, what is up with that? I mean, like, what am I supposed to do with that? And then God started to speak to me. God started to say, well, Daniel, listen, this is what the problems are. This is why I do not accept it as a God-glorifying decision. And then he said, and don't miss the fact that all these other things aren't glorifying to me either, like selfishness, like judgmentalism, like heterosexual sexual immorality of all sorts, lust. That's equally offensive to me. Don't forget that, Mr. Man. And it's like, whoa, whoa. See, God wants us to see the world as it truly is, not only through the lenses of our culture that is so profoundly pushing into our lives. Even if you don't agree with the decisions of our culture, we have all been reared in this and nurtured in this. We've all known that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread, but we all say, Lord, give us the bread for the next 80 years. And I'm not saying be bad stewards. I'm saying that we got to think about those things. If Jesus is God and he's wise and he's smart, we have to think about these things. Jesus is Our hearts break for those being turned away and rejected all over the world because of where they've come from. 
Like many of you, I have to face my fears about terrorism and balance them with the command Jesus gave me to love. Love no matter what. You might be asking yourself, what can I do? How can I help? Well, I urge you first to reach out to us here at Crossroads Community Church. We've been ministering to refugees for many years and we could use your help. Second, and it's gonna sound pretty simple, you need to pray. Pray for those who are suffering all over the world. Pray for our refugees trying to escape terror in their own countries. And pray for President Donald Trump and the rest of the leadership of our country. And we wanna help you to remember to pray for all of these things. I wear a leather bracelet that says real on it. Whenever I look at this bracelet, it reminds me that Jesus is real in my life and I'm utterly and completely blessed. I also remember to pray for those who are fleeing tyranny. I'm gonna turn this over to Josh so that you can learn more about supporting refugees and help us here at Jesus Is Real Radio. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Truly, the plight of the refugees is urgent. Throughout the month of March, we want to make available to you the same leather bracelet that Pastor Daniel just mentioned. It simply says real on it. When you wear this bracelet, you'll be reminded of God's love in your life and those that are less fortunate. For anyone who supports Jesus is Real Radio with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you the real bracelet as a thank you. Plus, we will use a portion of these funds in the current effort here at Crossroads Community Church to minister to refugees. To receive your own real bracelet, check out JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the Partner option in the main menu. Well, thanks for joining us today. Please remember to pray for the poor, oppressed, and less fortunate. Until next time, may God bless. Trail, we need, we need.